The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. I bear a word of greeting this morning to you, you who are gathered here in the Nave of Marsh Chapel at the Architectural and Spiritual Center of the Boston University campus. A word of greeting to you, you who are gathered in cars or kitchens listening on the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM throughout New England. A word of greeting to you, you who are gathered around a computer or a tablet or a listening on a smartphone to the live stream at WBUR.org. And a word of greeting to you, you who are listening later to the podcast at BU.edu slash chapel. We gather today for a service of ordered worship in the praise of God and in the service of the city, the global city, the citizenry walking together as one into the realm of God. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel and on behalf of the ministry and music and hospitality staffs here at Marsh Chapel, I welcome you this morning. A special word of greeting to our preacher this morning, Miss Jessica Chica, our university chaplain for international students. I bear greetings on behalf of our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week and looks forward to being back with us soon. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things, both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Dear friends, as we gather together Sunday by Sunday, walking together as the citizenry of the realm, walking together into the realm of God, as we journey together, we confess our sins in order to enter into that realm refreshed, renewed, whole, and in true relationship with ourselves and before God. We meditate and we confess before God as the choir sings our traditional Kyrie. Dear friends, let us remember that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as, in fact, there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from, for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. 
But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their, fall, of their falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm along with the Antiphon. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty are the works of the Lord, whose righteousness endures forever. Who has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord provides food for those who fear him and is ever mindful of his covenant. The Lord has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. They be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. The Lord sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is God's name. The year of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
all those who practice it have a good understanding. The praise of the Lord endures forever. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Glory, Glory to you, you, O Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. What a pleasure and honor it is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you this morning. I'd like to thank Dean Hill for asking me to preach today and my colleagues here at the chapel for their support and encouragement. Today is the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. We are in the liminal time between the celebration of the birth of Christ and Ash Wednesday. It's not a memorable season like Advent when we're so excited to get to the birth of Christ that we sometimes jump ahead into its celebration a little bit early. Or it's not like Lent during which we fast or meditate and prepare for the death and resurrection of Christ. No, the season after Epiphany in some churches, particularly in the Catholic Church, is referred to as ordinary time. It's when we hear the stories of the growth and development of Jesus' ministry. It's when we learn of Jesus' teachings, healings, and interactions with the people he encounters along the way. We use green pyramids to highlight not only the growth and development of Jesus' ministry, but also our own spiritual growth and development through learning and engaging with the retelling of Jesus' ministry on earth. We are then called out to go into the world and share that spiritual growth through the love of Christ that we share with all people. This liturgical year, we grapple with Mark's gospel to help us understand this period of Jesus' life. Mark is the shortest gospel and believed by scholars to be the earliest retellings of the life of Jesus. There are episodes within Mark, the episodes within Mark's scripture are much abbreviated or raw, as one commentary I read put it. 
We get the facts and the figures of Jesus' work in the world, but not much flowery description. But in a way, Mark's gospel is perfect for this epiphany tide, this ordinary time. The gospel jumps right into the action of Jesus' baptism and ministry. There's no description of the birth of Christ or even the events leading up to it, like in Luke's gospel. Instead, we encounter the fully grown Jesus, baptized by John and announced as the Son and Beloved of God, who then begins the work of God in the world. Mark is primarily concerned with conveying who Jesus is as the Holy One, the Messiah, and that his authority comes from God. This is fully expressed through Jesus' words and deeds. In Mark's gospel, we and the people Jesus encounters come to know who he is through his acts of teaching and healing. The focus is on Jesus' authority in these situations. In today's gospel reading, he is unknown to the people in the temple, but commands their attention through his words and actions. It is only the unclean spirit or demon or evil force which possesses the man in the synagogue who recognizes Jesus for who he is and the power he can potentially wield. Have you come to destroy us? Is one of the questions posed to Jesus by this evil force. The unclean spirit recognizes that Jesus possesses the authority of God and questions how that power and authority will be used. Whether this is a sarcastic comment questioning the power of the Holy One, have you come to destroy us? Or a genuine inquiry of fear from the unclean spirit, have you come to destroy us? We are not sure. But it gives us an interesting starting point for understanding the type of authority Jesus brings into the world and how this authority shapes the way we can understand our Christian identity. First, let's focus on the question. Have you come to destroy us? The you obviously refers to Jesus, but Jesus is relatively unknown to the community he's within. The reaction of the people tells us so. He teaches them as one having authority, but not like the way that they had heard from the scribes. Jesus teaches in a new way, not focusing on the traditional interpretation of the Torah, as the scribes do, but relying on the authority of God. The scripture does not share the words that Jesus spoke, but we know from other passages in Mark that his teaching challenges the systems that have led the participants and leaders of the service into complacency. We might be able to relate to this reliance on tradition in our own context. We become complacent not only to our styles of worship, but how we find ourselves interacting with the social structures that surround us in our everyday lives. It's just the way things are. It's just the way it's always been done. But that blind trust can lead to problems like systemic injustices and oppression. What Mark demonstrates through this teaching is that Jesus points out the inadequacy of the teaching going on in the synagogue to reveal the true meaning of God's relationship with people on earth. We are called to seek out justice and righteousness, as the psalmist today reminds us, God's righteousness endures forever. God is gracious and merciful. The people in the synagogue are astounded by Jesus' teaching. From the immediate recognition of Jesus' authority, the story quickly transitions into the man with the unclean spirit getting up and shouting at Jesus, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Why has Jesus come to this synagogue to teach? How will Jesus' teachings change the relationship between good and evil forces in the world? Jesus' teaching is founded in God, from whom his authority derives. His speech is powerful and authoritative because it speaks the truth. Jesus is a prophet because he speaks the truth that is found in God and God's will for the world. This authority is visible to those who hear him speak, as is obvious from last week's gospel, if you'll remember. Jesus promises Simon, Andrew, James, and John that he will make them fishers of people, and their reaction is to drop their nets 
and follow him. Jesus' authority is unmistakable, but it may not be what we expect from the Messiah. It is established that Jesus is authoritative in his teaching, but do his actions match his words? Let us refer back to our guiding quote for this sermon. Have you come to destroy us? The word used by the unclean spirit is destroy in reference to how Jesus will use his power. Destruction is a violent word. It conjures images of raised lands where no building is left standing or the complete obliteration of a person or a system. It might be what you would expect for the Holy One of God to bring to earth in order to control or subdue it. It might be what you would expect if it was your way of engaging the world to seek pain, violence, and destruction instead of life-giving, healing community. That is what the unclean spirits do. We know from our experiences that those with authority and power can slip into using that power for their own ends, to the point of injuring others. Without concern for the greater well-being, without that direct connection with the divine will for justice and righteousness, a person can create a great deal of damage by favoring certain groups of people with their power in ways that divide and amplify systems of oppression. Jesus has the power of God on his side, and it is precisely because of this connection with the divine that he utilizes that power to restore rather than destroy. Jesus does not destroy. Yes, Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, telling it to be silent and come out of the man. But there is no destruction. The spirit obeys, albeit putting up a fight on its way out, but it leaves. Jesus doesn't destroy the spirit. Where it goes to, we don't know. But additionally, he doesn't destroy the unclean spirit's host, the man. Instead, he restores the man to health. He heals the man. Jesus does not seek to obtain power for himself in this situation, as the evil forces might do. He serves humanity instead, restoring the man to his full humanity. Jesus is a teacher and a healer during his ministry, not someone who destroys. Can you imagine describing Jesus as a teacher and a a destroyer? It just doesn't seem to fit our conception of him. He commands power over those things which are damaging to both the individual body and the communal body. He demonstrates that his authority can overcome the unclean spirits, the powers of evil, through restoration of the person. We may even extend this metaphor to say that this person, who is possessed by the unclean spirit, could also be ostracized from his community if his behavior were to continue. We know as much from the story of the man possessed by the legion of unclean spirits in Mark chapter 5, who is physically removed from the community. Jesus restores both the man in the synagogue and the man exiled by his community. And in both instances, the communities are amazed. Jesus has power and authority, but he uses it in a way that nonviolently transforms. As the Spider-Man movies have taught us, with great power comes great responsibility. Or as St. Luke states in chapter 12, verse 48, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required, and from one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. Jesus is tasked with the greatest power and responsibility In order to do the work of God on earth, he must use his power and authority in a way that restores the earthly community to one of love, support, and inclusion. The final factor in this question posed by the unclean spirit is who is us? Up to now, I've been talking about an unclean spirit. Suddenly, it multiplies itself. It says, have you come to destroy us? We may understand this us as all evil forces, as those things which prevent flourishing in the world. If we read this passage with a historical critical lens, we may side with commentators who situate the Jewish community in Capernaum as a community under the Roman Empire. Perhaps then the us are the imperialists who continue to oppress those in this community. Or maybe 
it, or, or it may be that this unclean spirit is, is an actual pre-scientific understanding of what a health concern looked like. But one thing is clear, the forces that recognize Jesus know who he is and recognize his potential power when no one else can. Today, we may see this us as the powerful forces we encounter in our lives that keep us from having a full relationship with the divine and from completely expressing God's love to ourselves and others. These forces may be spiritual, biological, societal, or political. They may make us feel powerless and out of control, just as the man who is possessed appears to be. We may feel like there is no way of overcoming them or destroying them, as it were. But there is hope. Because Jesus displays that there is the possibility of healing and hope in the face of such challenges, by bringing us a new way that is full of love and care for others, the healing and restoration of communities is a possibility. As Paul reminds the church in Corinth, it is love that builds up. Love builds up our relationships with each other, and it also builds up our relationship with God. We not, may not be able to destroy the evil that exists in the world, but we are capable of taking away its authority and power over us. The gospel for this week reminds us of the great acts of Jesus, but should also spark us into action. Jesus, after all, was a radical. And by radical, I mean the definition which comes out of the Latin radix, which literally means root. Jesus comes to fundamentally change the way we understand our relationship with God and each other. His new way of teaching is simplified and relies less on tradition and more on the authentic word of God found within the scriptures. He astounds and amazes the people by using his authority both to teach and to heal as well as restore. We must remember that not everyone accepted Jesus' teachings or his acts of healing as coming from God. He encounters these challenges again and again throughout the Gospel of Mark, eventually leading to his own death. He challenges the status quo in a new, nonviolent, but revolutionary way that scares those accustomed to the old ways. I imagine people's reactions to Jesus' teaching to be like the first time I read James Cone's A Black, Theo Black Theology of Liberation. As a first-year master's student, it destabilized me. It made me question everything I thought and I knew about Christianity and emphasize the inherent privilege I possess as someone who is white. It highlighted the systems of oppression found within American society and particularly within the field of theology, which had been primarily developed by Western white perspectives until the writing of this book. It felt foreign to me, a challenge to what I then thought were my brilliant theological ideas, and I just didn't get it. And like the unclean spirit in this passage, my reaction at first was to reject it because it didn't speak to me, because it scared me, because I felt threatened by it. But that kind of teaching is exactly what I needed to, gr needed to grow, to at least try to better understand the lives of those who are oppressed by society. It made me look at the scriptures in a new way. It opened up avenues of many different and varied theological perspectives arising out of theologies of liberation that helped shape my personal theological and ethical ideas. The challenge was a good thing because it opened my eyes to new ways of being in the world, new ways that I am no, by no means an expert at, but new ways that I can continue to grow into. There are many times in our lives when I'm sure we wish that Jesus would just show up and get rid of the evil and oppressive forces in our lives, that it would be as easy as a command uttered for negative forces to leave us, but it's not. At least, it isn't for us. We can't make our personal demons or our societal demons leave us by willing them to go away. But we can do, what we can do is recognize them and engage ourselves to reform them. In order to do this properly, however, we must first be able to recognize those forces which have taken priority for us 
and that are in, in conflict with God's will. If we can acknowledge the demons, then we can take their power away. If we ignore them and pretend they aren't there, then we allow them to still have power over us. White supremacy, sexism, homophobia, homophobia, addiction, and hate, as well as many other insidious social ills still surround us. Our job is to name them for what they are and attempt to systematically dismantle the influence they have in our collective lives. This is by no means an easy or a pleasant job, but one that speaks to the justice and righteousness found in God. We are called to be purveyors of Christ's love in the world. If we recognize Jesus' authority and how he uses it to bring about change, we can learn from it. Authority and the power that comes with it can easily be mismanaged and improperly used for self-aggrandizement. However, Jesus is our example. He possesses God's authority, but uses that authority to serve others. Our power also comes in serving others. As Martin Luther said, being little Christs to our neighbors. Through service of others, learning from others, and being in community, we can imagine a better world for ourselves. In this season after Epiphany, this ordinary time, let us continue to grow in spirit and love. Have you come to destroy us? No. Jesus has come to restore us. Amen. come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts 
and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. As the people gathered in Capernaum to hear Jesus' words, so too have we come together to hear God's word. Let us boldly offer our prayer to God by saying together, Lord, have mercy. For the world in which we live and to which we are called, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the nations of the world and for world peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the Church of Christ, zealous in mission, compassionate in service, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this gathering of believers and for our hearing the word, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who labor in the world and in the church, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the homeless and for the refugees, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those with whom we rejoice and for those whose joy is known only in the secrets of their hearts, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O oh God, we commend to your care all for whom we pray in the confidence that your love for them is greater than anything we can know or imagine. Hear us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. Last Sunday, we emphasized Sunday morning offerings here at Marsh Chapel as the semester was just getting underway. This week, we'd like to lift up uh, our weekday offerings during the week here at Marsh Chapel. You may wish to join us on Monday at 12.15 downstairs in Robinson Chapel for Monday meditation. Tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. will be our community dinner in the Marsh Room. We look forward to seeing you there. At 3 o'clock on Tuesday, you can join in the lower level for Create Space, an opportunity to engage in spirituality and artistic engagement. And at 6 p.m. is Global Dinner Club on Tuesdays. Wednesdays at 5.15 here in the Nave, Ecumenical Evening Prayer with Communion at 5.15. Here in the nave again on Tuesday, Thursdays at noon is silence practice and outside on Marsh Plaza, Common Ground Communion at 12.20. At 5 o'clock on Thursdays is mind, body, and spirit yoga in Robinson Chapel downstairs. This coming Friday particularly, we want to lift up and encourage you to engage in spiritual paint night. More information about that is available in the term book, which you can pick up on your way out if you didn't receive one either today or last week. Uh, to sign up for that, please email jesschika, jchika at bu.edu, so that she can make sure there's enough room for all who want to participate. A special note from our music department this morning from Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, our director of music. Performance of the Matthew and John Passions of Johann Sebastian Bach have long marked our musical experience and Lenten observances at Marsh Chapel for many years now. This year, we've returned to the St. John Passion, uh, and which will be performed right after spring break in March. Two marks of distinction about this year's performance, one is that we intend to offer that performance on Sunday afternoon in the context of a liturgy, uh, the same uh, liturgy that Bach might have experienced when he uh, first performed the Passion in context and worship in Leipzig. The second mark of distinction of this year's performance is that that week and that performance will be led by my colleague Ruben Valenzuela, who is the founding music director of the Bach Collegium in San Diego. He'll be in residence with us for that week and will conduct that performance. He's a wonderful, uh, wonderful colleague, friend, and truly uh, an expert with this piece and with performance of this uh, works of this period. In preparation for that, we are amplifying our educational offerings uh, to you, congregation, and those listening. And in your bulletin this morning, you'll find an insert about our St. John Passion Lecture Series. Our resident musicologist and program annotator is Brett Kostrevsky, and he's the author of this year's Listener's Companion that you can find a copy of in the narthex uh, as you depart. He'll be offering four one-hour lectures uh, on the St. John Passion. A precis of those lectures is listed on the back of this insert. Uh, And all are invited. No preparation or materials in advance are required. We'd love for you to attend all four, but if you can only attend one or two, that's just fine. We simply ask that you signal your intent by completing this form to help us understand how many chairs to set out and uh, also make sure that you have access to any materials in advance that Brett may have for us. It's a wonderful new addition to the educational musical offerings for music at Marsh Chapel, and I hope you'll consider attending. That starts next week, February 4th. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Just a quick reminder to children in the congregation that you may wish to attend children's education and may do so by departing during the final hymn of the service this morning. We encourage you to keep an eye to all of Marsh Chapel services and activities, uh, either in the term book or on the chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Joseph Reinberger's setting of the Kyrie from his Mass in E-flat major. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
magnificent divine receive these gifts and consecrate the givers to service in the church in partnership with the spirit we pray in the name of the holy one jesus christ amen and keep you. The Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. 